0: All right, Josh Smith here at my Flat 5 Studios. I'm excited today because a guest is uh, a hero of mine. I've been a big fan for a long time, and lately I've had just the thrill to be able to be working with him and to really become friends. Um, He's just a tremendous guitar player, a tremendous musician. Uh, He's got a ton of great albums out that you should definitely pick up. He was also in a band called Danger Danger. He toured with Simon Phillips he toured with olivia newton john i think he hails from evansville indiana but now he's living in texas the great state of texas everybody give it up for my
1: friend andy timmons (laughs) hey hey (laughs) Hey everybody hey josh good to yeah good to be chatting i'm gonna gonna turn my my gig reverb off hold on (laughs) (laughs) i had that from my i've been doing some singing on the weekends man i've been doing these stage gigs and and I did a bunch of instrumental shows, but then I, I started realizing, oh, well, I love playing and singing tunes just on acoustic guitar. So I started doing a few Beatle tune, like Beatles shows. Last weekend, I did a, a tribute to Tom Petty. Oh, and nice. I've been having a blast because, I mean, obviously, primarily, I'm, a, I'm an electric guitar player, okay. instrumental a lot, you know. But it's been kind of cool, man, just kind of tapping into uh, to singing, you know, because I've written a bunch of vocal tunes, some of which I've recorded, some of which I still really want to do yeah it's just been a thing i just haven't i haven't ever been as comfortable with on the gig but when i'm home in my studio you get a nice sound in the cans and
0: you mm-hmm. know you
1: have, you're you not having to sing over your your drummer and your loud amp you know <laughs> well did you well, ever i've sing been digging it, but... on the
0: road did you ever sing side like uh, background parts
1: Yeah, i sure, in danger danger yeah well, of course back in the day everybody had like you know back back, back up tracks you know we all had uh sure you know some background vocals and stuff but we were singing live too and we really preferred to do that when we'd have to be slave to the it was like an eight track cassette that the drummer was tethered to <laughs> right but anyway but that was back in the day right when everybody was at least that 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 band you know was trying to sound like the Def Leppard records but no I uh I, yeah always sang, I sing back up on the records and um and with Olivia would, would sing with her quite a bit oh um, dude, and really you know, like I say yeah there was a couple times I got to duet with her which is you know yeah, well, a a a, bl- a blessing in many ways, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, for those that don't know me, that that only know me from like the rock guitar thing, when they find out that I work with Olivia, it was kind of like, what do you do, what are you doing? You know, but that was one of my favorite gigs I ever did, and I actually did that for about fifteen years, man. That was. Did you um, play with Mark Jordan on that gig? Uh you know, I met Mark Jordan through um, Canadian.
0: Yeah, keyboard player.
1: Am yeah. I thinking of the right? Yeah, I, I I knew him through Amy Sky who was a, a close friend of uh and collaborated with Olivia. But he mm-hmm. never we never we never gigged together or recorded together, but he was I think that's I believe that's Amy's husband if I'm if I'm correct. I think so.
0: Yeah, really but I talented. know he worked with Olivia for a long time too. Yeah.
1: Well, that was as far as I know not, not part of the live band. So if I starting in nine, 1999, I was her, you know, guitar player and MD for that that next yeah. 15 years. So that might have been some studio stuff.
0: There's a legacy yeah. in that band, man. A lot of guitar players.
1: Dude, well, yeah, I, I got to play Luke at their solo every night on physical, you know. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I mean, Landau did the tour, well, right? Landau and Buzzy That Fieden, was Landau right and, together.
1: And Buzzy was the band with Carlos Vega. And uh, yeah. she had the that that, I 18. Mean, that was when that physical record, you know, was like number one for 10 weeks or something crazy. And she was doing yeah. an arena tour. And, uh, but then as, as her story goes, it was in the early nineties and she had breast cancer and just kind of retired for a long time. Right. And she yeah. was in Australia. She just figured she, she recovered she got through that. She figured she just wanted to take care of her daughter, which she did. And, but I guess in the late nineties, she did a few gigs in Australia and kind of got her toe back in the water a little bit. And right. anyway, long story short, she, they were, there was an Australian band that was the, the backing band for a guy named John Farnham. who was like the Springsteen of, of Australia. Right. Mm-hmm. So her a team band came over and did a handful of shows and they wanted to book a tour. And the, the, there was two guitar players, Stuart Frazier and Brett Garzid, oh, the okay. other guy. Yeah. You know, Brett. Yeah. And uh, so, but Brett had some other gigs happening and couldn't do the tour. So Toto's management, you know, uh, was Fitzgerald Hartley and Mark Hartley was managing Olivia. And of course I'd been working with Simon for years at that point. Mm-hmm. And I guess they just, you know, one of those things where they put the, the word out in the ranks, Hey, Who knows a guitar player that could do this gig and simon goes i know a guy you know so i get a a message on my machine i was in austin doing some work and uh check my messages back before we had cell phones i think probably anyway so i remember checking my machine and it was was simon going andy do you fancy working with Livy newton john you know all right well i guess what are the hours what are the hours you know But it just it just was one of those things where I I took the gig and without knowing that it was just going to turn into this beautiful friendship and and a lot of work that but it was it was kind of the, the, the best case scenario where you know she didn't tour incessantly, it would be like, you know, two and three weeks in a row sprinkled throughout the year so it was kind of perfect you know residency in vegas every now and then sure so i could still do my own th- still do my own thing and, and and simon and i were still working together quite a bit in on and off from when he was busy with toto so it was uh, it was just cool and in the you know 15 years is quite a you know oh yeah quite a patch of time so it was it's really down to her and the band that we formed you know and that came together that i got to help put together and through and through fitzgerald hartley as well it was a bunch of really good people, but starting with her, she's just she's just a badass. She's just a, a great, killer, a great, great singer with pitch and time is impeccable. Knows every tune. You can you can call any show tune, any standard, mm-hmm. any Beatles tune. She knows she knows all the tunes. She's just incredible. So and just a great hang. So Very cool. you know the, there were other other gig offers that would come along occasionally, but it was like eh, you know, if I, I'm if I'm going to leave home, it better be with somebody I want to hang with,
0: you know. It's funny how it becomes that eventually, you know, You it's always initially, it's just about whatever gig I can get my hands on, whatever pays the bills, whatever pushes me forward. Amen. And then it changes yep. to what's what am I willing to leave the house for?
1: You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and this COVID thing, too, has been kind of a re- reset. I mean, obviously, we're all dying to get out and, and do some gigs, but oh yes i do appreciate being home man you know that's yeah, like it's, it's, right. it's one of those things where well, let's let's there's let's, certainly plus, we be even uh, more pluses
0: ca- and, and minuses <laughs> to the whole
1: situation yeah Dude, well so let too. i was real for I'm sorry, sorry go ahead
0: please continue
1: <laughs> i've been sidetracked no it was just it was just when my son was born 16 years ago that that was a turning point too and i was 40 oh yeah you know when he was born so that's when you start also making decisions based on other things besides ooh that's a that's a cool gig or ooh, that's a that could be some good money or notoriety. So are you gonna dig it? And is it wor- is it worth trading that in for the time with your with your family? You know that's. You're hundred percent. You consider.
0: A hundred percent. You know it became, for yeah. me. Do I want to even be on the road and be working that hard unless yeah. it's for my own thing? That was the main thing. That's man. another.
1: Yeah. Amen yeah. to that. Sure. That's sure, when I shifted. That. All right, so yeah. going glad, back. Glad you did.
0: Thank you. Me too. <laughs> I'm much happier.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah. Hey, well, hey, man, you got to do, do what's in your heart, man. It's it's so important. Be, oh, can, yeah. Because people know otherwise, you know? If you're trying to put on something so. that ain't really you. I, I think so. they, they, they know. They know that, or at least they really feel the difference when it really is you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You All know?
0: right. So for the people who don't know your story, I'm sure, I'm always sure. most interested in how the guitar ends up in your hands the very first time do you come from a musical family or not i actually don't know the answer to this i don't yeah um and it was just happenstance that the guitar got put in my hands how did it end uh, up in your hands
1: it was it was really natural because i was the youngest of four boys but we were all four years apart so i was born in 1963 so i would have had a brother who was four eight and then 16 and my brother that was 16 you know in 1963 that's the, that's prime record buying age you know teenage oh, yeah. in america and the beatles hit <laughs> so in, in you know february of 64 when when they played sullivan um but even before i think he had actually bought she loves you before that which was on a small label called swan capital turned down the first three or four singles from from england you know love me do no nah. Yeah. please please me nah, yeah. <laughs> she loves you i want to hold your hand okay well we're in you know yeah, right. so anyway so he from from that point on he, he was just buying every mainly british invasion stuff so it was all you know dave clark five and, and Beatles and kinks and Yardbirds and animals and hermans Hermits and all all that and so that was just kind of the music of the household but there was a family stereo with it and i, I have it in my home now it's a 1959 motorola you know, the fold out speakers, the tube amp. It turns out it's two AC, like two AC15s in there. It's e- <laughs> EL84s. I couldn't, I couldn't oh, believe when God. I finally took the back of that thing to figure oh, out how, what, what amp is this. I didn't even think about it when I was a kid. Wow. So, the, you know, the, the mom and dad, you know, they had, uh, every, it seemed like every family in the 60s had the Whipped Cream and Other Delights record by Herb Alpert, you know. Okay, of yeah, course. And so, so was that there was that you know the the parental music, but it was more the older brothers and John and Mark, the oldest, both had a couple of uh, you know, Silvertone acoustics in their bedroom, also standard issue in the '60s, seemingly in in, in America. Uh, these Silvertone would have been, I guess, the Sears brand, so you could order it from the catalog, and so th- there was always these guitars around. So that music, those guitars, and then I remember having uh, and there's a there's a photo that you can find online of me sitting in with a country, I was sitting in, I'm, I'm four or five and I'm holding my toy plastic guitar. So I had one when I was about four, just by I'm sure begging my mother at the Y Dime Store to get me this plastic guitar, you know? But I remember mm-hmm. it came with this big red plastic pick and and I could play, I tell you, I learned a melody when I when I was about five and it went like this. Already playing the one, one note per, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you even know that tune? No, which tune is it? This is before Smoke on the Water, brother. This is old. <laughs> You'll know it. I'm not just stepping stone. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. So that was the other, you know, my brother John was into the monkeys, the, the prefab four when they came along, you know. So, yeah, I mean, from that age... Already, I was infatuated with the guitar. Every, in, in all the records that were in my brother's rooms, you know, with the guys mm-hmm. playing on the back of the cover. You know, you see the guitars, you hear the guitars, and it was just, and I remember my my earliest musical memory that I can literally recall is the, the middle section of I Saw Her Standing There, which was the flip side of I Want to Hold Your Hand. Mm-hmm. And it was my favorite part of the record, though I had no idea what it was, and it was just a, you know... A- <laughs> george harrison's reverb you know it's, yeah you know i just hear that 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 verb and you know whatever it was studio the studio three reverb uh, just yeah. you know so i think to this day that's why i like a wet guitar sound and that was that was <laughs> it man and just ever so since, it, was, just, it was definitely
0: driven yeah. by the brothers' Cause, so it sounds like if you're the youngest and they're mm-hmm. all four mm-hmm. years apart, where your parents relatively yeah. older at that point they their musical tastes were not sure. the rock and roll taste most likely
1: definitely not even even though I think mom you know she enjoyed Henry the Eight via the Herman's sermons or whatever uh, i mean she I think she dug it, but yeah, it was definitely the older brothers, and that was had a lot to do with you know, I think my, my drive to become a player. Cause I thought, well, maybe that will earn their attention and their respect. You know what I mean? It was Gene Simmons used to say, I don't, he might've said it directly to me. We did a couple of tour stints back in the danger, danger days. And he uh-huh. would say something to the effect of like, Anybody that any musician that tells you they, you know, started playing for any other reason besides getting late is full of shit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Which is a, a very gene, a very gene thing to say, who I love dearly, by the way, he's a sweet guy. Um, but it was comp- not that at all. I mean that that part oh, didn't yeah. even dawn on me too many years later. Oh, you and, were too young. You know, it was just,
0: Sa- I mean, insane. well, yeah, but it's definitely too young. Yeah. But,
1: but even but even but even in even in the day, it was just about the ability to play and wanting to be a better player and participating. Just the, just the freaking privilege of participating in this thing we love so much, and it's it's, it's really still that today. It's just fucking so, it's great, so great to be a part of it. And to produce those sounds that you know are in the ballpark of the things that you know we idolize and that mean that means so much to us, you know. Yeah. So it was that was really always there. May have been you know <laughs> girls along the way occasionally, but it was yeah. it was really just it would no, it was just really instilled um, the the joy of playing the, the 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 knowledge that man I can get better at this. You know I want to get closer to that thing. You know. And all these, yeah. all these things we love, both you and I, you know, we love so many different versions of what the guitar is part of, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes stuff that the guitar's no part of, you know, we'll listen to, yeah. To, yeah. to, to Yardbird and to Coltrane and love it just as much. But man, you know, that the sound of that electric guitar will always be such a, such a beautiful yeah. thing and such a thing that, is, that inspires, you know.
0: Well, oh, did you, I mean, obviously your brothers probably showed you a few things, I guess, if they had guitars and were kicking around. Did you ever uh, yeah. start taking lessons? And did you have music in schools? I'm assuming you did at that time because it was much more prevalent.
1: Yeah, well, we had, a, we had a, a music department in grade school. But, yeah, it just didn't take with me. But I was already, you know, so for the major stuff, I kind of considered I kind of started playing when I was five. Mm. But it all came really self-taught. The brothers may, maybe showed me a little bit. I remember that there was a PBS, you know, our local uh, public television had a, a woman sitting there in the afternoon, you know, just playing cat Wow. You know. Yeah. And so I learned a few things from her. And somebody, I, I, I had the back page from a Mel Bay book that the. The kid across the street's dad had a Mel Bay book, and I I got to abscond with the back page that had all the chords
0: diagrams.
1: You yeah. know, always the back. Uh, e yeah. flat, all right. It, but yeah, so it was it was just kind of a, a combination of being shown a couple of things, and then but then I remember being in my bedroom and uh, Rod Stewart, the Rod Stewart record. Every every picture tells a story, so it's just one yeah. of those things. And I was playing a D chord on my acoustic, and I recognized that that's the same chord that's on the record. <laughs> it, it just hadn't dawned that well, maybe I could figure out, you know. So I st- just slowly you start to learn enough to to start to make those you know those, those uh, correlations and those relationships. Mm-hmm. And then my brother Mark took me to his, his his a good friend of his who played electric guitar, showed me the bar mm-hmm. chord, and showed me the. The a minor pentatonic and man i was off and running you know yeah,
0: yeah so
1: pretty much pretty much self-taught till i was about 16 right so okay but by okay. the age of 13 by the age of 13 i had my first band you know i got asked by some older kids to join a band and so it was then i was never not in a band from the age of 13. Wow. but by the age of 16 by the age of 16 i knew that you know this was going to be my life it was pretty clear i didn't have a much desire to even think about doing anything else i was just mm-hmm. completely infatuated with it, and always playing. But uh, so you probably progressed re-
0: really fast, right, because of the level of yeah. obsession that you had.
1: Oh, no doubt it was. It was. I just could. Everybody would always ask, "Well, how many hours did you practice?" I just. It was never practicing, but it was always playing. You yeah. know, Because I didn't have a, any kind of structured regimen. It was pre any kind of teaching method or any or for me anyway. No, no direct uh, you know relationship with a teacher i was just learning songs trying to figure out whatever i could of the solos and i was playing with a band you know that's right, right. And, and all i had was my ear all that was you know just that we didn't have youtube in our back pocket to learn yeah. exactly how eddie van halen played eruption though pete thorne it's, showed me about a week ago <laughs> thanks to his <laughs> awesome tutorials. and which, i'm thankful yeah, well, i'm so thankful for the technology now uh,
0: yeah
1: but back, you know and I, I i spent dude i spent 60 bucks on a on a guitar player magazine last week to, to get sent to me. Cause it was the one I bought when nineteen eighty when it came out, the first one that Eddie was on the cover of. Cause I yeah. remember there was a picture in it of, of Eddie doing this, you know, hand behind the fretting hand. And I thought that's how he's playing eruption. So I played eruption like that. I, I couldn't even begin to remember how I did it, but some, you know, bastardized version of eruption the wrong way, just because that's the picture that I'd seen. We didn't have video. Yeah. I hadn't seen the band live. I didn't know what was going on yeah but by because i was buying these magazines i you know reading about tommy tedesco and carlton and then and luke these guys were session guys and you know they could obviously play a lot of different styles and they could, they knew how to read you know mm-hmm. varying degrees obviously but but they could read so that's when i decided well i need to seek out a teacher and i need to learn how to read you know and i found a guy in the local phone book that i guess i'd heard about his his name is ron pritchett he's still still around still teaching he's, he's pretty up there in age but the cool this thing is about in Long Evansville. That, this is in Evansville, Indiana. So, again, sixteen. I'm a good player. I, you know, I'm playing all the classic rock. Even well, it was classic rock at the time. It was just rock. Rock. You know, all yeah. the all the <laughs> Kiss and exactly. I'm, I'm classic now. Kiss and Fog Foghat and Rush and Nugent. Sure. The first Nugent record was a big guy. So I could play all that and pretty pretty well. And but this, you know, he started me off with just this: how to read the notes on on the E string. You know, but he could see that I could play. And he was, this guy was like a a jazzer. He was way, and he was like a Barney Kessel kind of, kind of, kind of guy. Right. So he started playing me records and loaning me records. He had Howard Roberts and Joe pass and and Wes and Oscar, he was into Oscar Peterson. So he started loaning me these records. and It was just, I hadn't been exposed to that kind of playing and just fell in love with it just because it's guitar, you know, and, and how these guys know what, a freaking play right so he he got me on the path of um you know learn learning proper you know jazz voicings and stuff and he'd write out mm. every week with my reading lesson then he'd also write out the changes to a standard that i'd have to comp for him you know he'd written a really nice uh chord book like the antithesis uh-huh. of the ted green book it's like here's okay. g6 and about about the six shapes you're gonna need
0: and, oh, here, and then here's got how it. to take
1: it around the circle of fifths so you know it was it was just very simple here's what you're gonna need kind of book and it was a great foundation and just, just the fact that he was, you know, kind of broadening my, my oral palate. you know, it was, yeah. you know, really, really changed me. And to this day, I know how deeply that affected my path. You know, right? it just, and how
0: long did you study with him?
1: I, until I left, I think until I left from Miami. So, okay. About three, I want to say three years. And so, but at that time, so then, so I'm taking lessons with him every week, you know, gigging three, at least three nights a week. And then when college, I started college, like when you're 17 or 18, um, the local university offered classical guitar as, as a, as a major. And I'd looked at Berkeley and, and other schools, but it just made sense to stay in Evansville and mm-hmm. knew nothing about classical guitar, but I thought, well, if I can get in somehow, it'll make my, you know, keep mom happy. I'm in school. Sure. So I did that for two years. I did that for two years, stayed, stayed in the rock band, classical major in college, still taking jazz lessons. And it was just the best time of my life, you know? That's, and then yeah. I got the ability, heard about Miami because uh, there was a bass player, Clayton Crone, that I was going to school with in Evansville. was says, yeah, man, University of Miami, man, that's where the dregs formed and, you know, Pat <laughs> Matheny went there. We were big Matheny yep. fans at this point. You know, and Jocko didn't go, there, didn't go to school there, but he hung out there so as much as the classical thing was cool i'm an electric guitar player and that's where i wanted to be in those two years so i was there from 83 to 85 and that was easily the two you know hugest years of growth for me you uh-huh. know just because i got i got into a top 40 band i was playing six nights a week and then being surrounded by some of the greatest players i'd ever heard you know mm-hmm. um you know it was a pretty selective school it was you know yeah, I mean, like it's still depart-
0: still a really great school, and I mean, obviously that's where I'm from, so yeah. I didn't go there, but I, yeah. I know a lot of people who did. I know the scene. Yeah, it was a you know really blowing up so, down there at that time.
1: Yeah, and so I mean, for me, I was just a, I was a I was a you know playing well as a bigger fish in a smaller pond, just but a pretty naive kid from Indiana, and I show up there and there's all these New York dudes and just monster monster players, and it was easily the the greatest thing that could have happened to me. You know mm-hmm. just because it was like all right sink or swim man it's like but the cool thing was is I was decidedly the rock guy you know in the department and right. there was other guys that were one guy was just could play like jim hall it was just beautiful lyrical this one guy could read you know the fly paper flash it on paper on paper across the reading. yeah so everybody had these these great strengths primarily in the jazz, the jazz world though so we were all kind of keen to hang out with each other and learn, you know, the jazz guys wanted to rock. And of course this, the rocker wanted to swing. Right. And, uh, so that would, so it, was just, it was just a magical time. So it, as much as the the teachers and the curriculum were great, it was just the other players that, and we all were kind of somehow magically on the same dorm floor mostly. That's um, awesome. So there was just always I, a, always a great angst. So Yeah. You know,
0: I that, missed that about, you know, the, I didn't go to college and that was the part I thought yeah. would have been the most most beneficial just to being around all those other musicians all the time and only talking about yeah. music, basically.
1: Well, but you, you don't you think you've kind of... You're, you're part of that now in L.A., though. I see the, 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 the sure. folks that you that you hang with. So it's still kind of... It, it can be a lifelong thing.
0: Oh, yeah, but know? I never had people my age, like, you know, uh, my friends... Yeah, like, right, right, right. At that formative years, it was always much older guys than yeah. me that I was hanging around well, and yeah. playing with. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so, so I, I guess in that
1: regard... <laughs> I guess that, that, now that you say that, that's, that's the difference because, again, I was the young kid in the band always until yeah. now, <laughs> but back right. then, yeah, you, when, you, when, you, when you form early, you're likely to be at a level that's beyond your peers, so right. I, didn't, I didn't get that experience until school cause then, because then all these the young, the young bloomers are coming together from different parts of the country or the world at, the, you know, yep. at that point yeah exactly so that's but that that is the beautiful thing though just because it's like yeah this is this is the real world you know you've got you might be the best on your block here but <laughs> just, yeah exactly you know. yeah everybody now, here now is now the best more... the best from their little yeah.
0: little block yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah 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 but but now and that's and that's, the, and that, and that's there lies the huge difference between you know then and now because now you know with with the advent and the uh of the internet you know now it's much easier for for people to have their abilities known and to, and we have, and we have access to each other, you know, all all over the world. Right. And uh, so yeah, that that's obviously changed so much of uh, people's ability, you know, for exposure, et cetera. But back then, you know, you had to, yeah. you had to be kind of really driven in a certain way, even though I was kind of blindly driven, I didn't know how I was going to make it happen, but just kind of kept going where instinct led me or encouragement, mm. you know, you know, I, I years later went back, you know, I would go back to Evansville all the time because my family, you know, was still living there for many years. And I ran into a guy that was working in a music store when I was a kid before going to Miami and then having my career. Uh, and uh, he was he was running a stand at another music store in Owensboro down the river from Evansville. He said, do you remember that conversation we had? It was called, uh, it was called the Dallas Pro Shop, oddly enough, in Evansville, Indiana. He said, "Yeah, cuz I was at I was at a crossroads because it was I couldn't decide whether to leave Evansville cuz I was in a band that was doing pretty well and we were getting right you know feedback from record labels, and it was a good band, but I felt I saw all the older guys kind of settling down and not having that drive and I'm the young kid ready to, ready to go. And I I had this opportunity to go to Miami. I I auditioned by tape and got accepted, but I still wasn't sure and he goes, "Man, if you don't do this, you'll regret this the rest of your life." Yeah. And Wow, what a heavy thing and it it might have been that kind of encouragement from him specifically that that helped me make that decidedly life-changing decision where, you know, I could still be, you know, not that it would have been bad to stay in Evansville, but you know, I doubt things would have turned out uh, the way they have, so.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know,
1: it's those for those sure. For, those forks in the road, brother, you know all about that, you know, it's like
0: Yeah, and you're always trying to, you know, take the one that leads you down the the most authentic the yeah. path you think feels the most authentic to you. You know, at least that, you sh- that should well, be the goal, I
1: guess. <laughs> I learned, well, I learned those, that's a, that's a good segue into kind of what became, I, you know, I, I I joined some players in Miami and moved to Texas. It was uh, uh, Steve Bailey, a great bass player, and uh, yeah. Ray Brinker. You know, Steve was, Steve was finishing his undergrad at Miami, but he was still gigging with Dizzy Gillespie and Paquito de Rivera. Mm-hmm. And his, 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 his buddy from North Texas, uh, in Denton, another great jazz department, uh, Ray Breaker yeah. on drums was just leaving Maynard Ferguson's band. They had gone to school together, but they wanted to form a rock band, you know? So Steve's like, who's the rock guy in, in, in town, you know? Yeah. Everybody recommends me. And so we hooked up and uh, yeah, we formed a band and moved to Texas to record, you know? Um, and so that, that was cool for a bit. It just kind of went by the wayside after a while, but not long after that, I formed my own trio. Right. But then, you know... My tape my our first demo tape got in the hands of Buddy Blaze, who's the artist relations guy for Kramer Guitars at the time. Ba- band called Bad English uh was looking for a guitar player, which was right. you know, eventually John Waite and Jonathan Cain and Neil Sean. Neil Sean had done the demos, but didn't want to commit to the band because he had a solo deal in Columbia. So they heard me and I get a call from Jonathan Cain saying, Hey, we want you to come, you know, come audition and blah blah blah. So I go fly to San Francisco, get the gig and uh fly out another week to to spend a trial week but then Neil kind of had kind of come back to say hey you know I've kind of reconsidered right. and he said we'll call you kid you know <laughs> so that, that didn't pan out I, I was pretty bummed of course but that literally at the same time the you know Buddy Blaze was like well I know these guys Danger Danger need need a guitar player they signed to Epic got a record coming out and I got the tape you know and my, my apology and they, they I've told this story a million times but I got the tape I was like oh man you know it just didn't I, I really wasn't thinking this is exactly what I wanted to do. Sure. You know what I mean? I, I know that feeling and, and when, you know, a you know,
0: certain gig comes up. You, we all know that feeling. Right.
1: Yeah. So, but this is me, you know, my, my early to mid-20s maybe. And I'd already been turned down by Relativity Records. I'd done some instru- a couple of instrumental tracks and sent them mm-hmm. to artist relations guys. Like, yeah, we've already got Satriani and Vi, you know. Oh, Cliff? Of course. <laughs> it wasn't Cliff. No, it was Dave, it was, uh, Dave Counter. Okay. Who, who was the, uh, I think he was the Dallas rep, who I very ironically ended up being my, one of the people I worked with when I signed a Vi's label. Oh, okay. Uh, and wow. I never brought that story, I never brought that story up, actually. Yeah. wow. Because I was one of the first guys that Steve approached about being on yeah. Nations back in And he was he was my main, one of my main uh, uh, artist relations guy at that time, besides, besides Steve, ultimately, obviously. But yeah, that, that it was one of those things where I didn't feel like this is, really you know what's in my heart but at the same time i didn't know that i'd get another chance you know i I was never and still to this day i'm not an overly confident player you know i think with age i've well
0: i've become become i got a quibble with you on that one man you're one of the most confident guys i know when it comes (laughs) to putting a guitar in
1: your hand I, oh dude. Oh. I see you just go out in
0: the other room and just lay it down like you. And it's always so musical. And it's like it's 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 like it's, you couldn't possibly make a mistake is how I feel sometimes <laughs> watching you.
1: Oh, dude, man. Well, that's I, 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 I love you for saying that. And I appreciate that. That's your that's your, you know, your perception. But of course. it may be slightly different in my head. Well, that's I think But I'm, I'm just I love being open about this because it's just true. It's just. I didn't know that if I'd ever get a chance to, you know, be on a label or, you know, or it, so it just it just felt like well, I really I kind of I need to do this, and in a lot of ways, what that what the experience did was I, I did I enjoyed the heck out of it because again, even though I might have a, rather have had a call from Miles Davis at that time, you know, <laughs> and ironically, dude, this is another another thing, I had at the same time I had an offer to join Tower of Power. Wow, they, 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 they had come through Dallas right about the same time. And Steve Grove, who was a, a cat, he was playing tenor in the group at the time. And he, we'd gone to Miami together and their guitar player was leaving to, to join the Laura Branigan tour. Okay, And so he said, "Yeah, come, we're playing Dallas Alley, come sit in. And I went to the, to the record store and bought Squib Cakes and What Is Hip and
0: yeah.
1: went and sat in and it was awesome. It, it went great. And, and so and then off, they, they offered to come out to, I guess, wherever they were, Oakland or whatever. But it was like I'd already kind of gone down the road with the Danger Danger thing a little bit. It's so another yeah. one of those forks in the road. Which way? But so just to, to tidy up the Danger Danger thing. So, I mean, I love the guys dearly. We had a blast. And to, to kind of go back to square one where I'd gone through this this whole jazz and fusion path along with my love for rock and roll. So it was kind of revisiting where I'd, you know, when I saw Kiss when I was 13 and, you know, it was the first rock concert I ever saw. I thought, man... This is what I want to do one day to get back to that just basic rock thing. And then a tour with those guys. We opened on two different tours in yeah. 90 and 92 it was incredible childhood fantasy that never was a thought of, of being a possibility, but what it also did, it taught me, and this has to do with not only the music, but the music business. Okay. Sure. The, the takeaway being that at the end, when things kind of imploded, there was a the third, third record for Epic that didn't get released so with the using kettner ad you know <laughs> they were kind <laughs> we of pick it up somewhere right? they were kind enough to put you know send 15 bucks to andy in texas and he will picture of the ear ecstasy cd cover and you know i didn't even send it to any labels it was just i, I was so happy that you know fortunately i had a studio that was working with me that just fronted me at the time my engineer rob wexler you know it's like yeah man was we'll whatever we'll take care of it down the road and my band were happy to play. So I was able to get some music out for the first time. That was really from, from me and from my heart. And so that just kind of set the tone for how I, you know, really approached the rest of my career, my career is that I just want to make the music that's really, you know, in my heart at that moment and then get it out there however I can. Subsequently, you know, when my, uh, the record label that uh, danger, danger was on in Japan was part of Sony over there and was a, yeah, so part of Sony, one of the women over there just said, "Why didn't you send me this record? I, I want to release it." And so I sort started doing licensing deals, you know. Yeah. So, and that's what happened with Steve Vai. And that's he—he—he he, he, he was the first, you know, U.S. label that I ever really considered working with. But he had approached it, you know, was very much a fifty-fifty, you know, partnership with the, with the artists. Once all the whatever costs were recouped for promo or whatever, and that right. just made a lot of sense. Why? Why shouldn't we be equally sharing in? um the benefit if this thing sells a little bit. So that's just the way I've handled everything ever since and it's been, you know, probably could have bigger numbers or bigger tours or whatever, but I'm real happy man. Again just just being able to do what I really want to do. You
0: know? Yeah. And you've settled into like just a really nice, you know, personal <laughs> lane I guess it's like it makes yeah. sense you know everybody knows kind of what you do yeah would it be great to be playing arenas doing what you do of course I I, <laughs> I would love that too but also yeah. if people yeah. come and see you if you go play a gig you've got an audience yeah. they show up they yeah. buy your records uh and man what that's yeah. uh, you know, what more can you ask for than really than that you know
1: well that again that's the, there's nothing more gratifying so yeah it, and 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 it continues to grow and I know you've seen this with your career too or you know, if you have something to offer thanks to the internet, people can find you. you oh, know? yes. So, so yes. much of my, you know, career at a certain point, I think, had to do with videos being shared that I had nothing to do with, aside from me being me playing guitar and somebody else filming it and putting it on YouTube. Yeah. You know, that, that version of Cry For You from that, you know, Hoshino 90th anniversary that yeah. so many people discovered my playing just from that, you know. And it wasn't, what that wasn't officially released. It was professionally recorded, but that was just a, pr- a promo for Ibanez dealers or whatever. And somebody uploaded it. And in a way it was like the, 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 initial onslaught of YouTube videos was terrifying. Cause like, man, I have no control over this man. You know, and you then you're just terrified at every gig. What if I have a bad night, you know? Yeah. yeah. But overall the, the good stuff tends to be what rises to the surface. And that's again, this to our benefit that people can find out about us So we don't have a major label behind us or we're not on tour, you know, on, on, yeah. in, you know, opening for some huge band or whatever. But again, at the end of the day, if there's something of value there, if there's, if there's really something you have to offer in your music, I think it eventually, whether in our lifetime or not, you know, it'll, 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 it'll circulate and it'll get out there and it'll, it'll touch people.
0: I think you're a hundred percent right. And man, before it leaves my brain, I have to at least ask the four boys, brothers, all four years apart, yeah. were your parents planning Olympic dynasty <laughs> or future presidents? <laughs>
1: Exactly. It's been very good. Put that together well, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was, I'm pretty certain I was a mistake. I'm pretty sure, you know, <laughs> I, d- I doubt there was any planning going on. I don't know if it was a uh, bobsled team for the future Olympics or, or a relay team. I, I did not know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there wasn't a whole lot of, it was just, it was just Catholics, just Catholics yeah. doing what the Catholics do i got you, got you. <laughs> I love that.
0: man you meant so you mentioned ibanez there for a second i'd be remiss yeah, if i didn't yeah. at least bring up uh your long-standing sure. relationship with them and the cool guitar that you're yeah. holding right at the moment um, yes yeah, yeah. when did you what year did that happen when did i because i know you talked about kramer earlier and i remember you playing kramer yeah. when did the switch happen
1: yep. to ibanez well the switch happened because kramer went out of business very yeah very surprisingly so and it had to be around you know i guess if i joined danger danger in 1988 mm-hmm. uh and then i think they might have went out of business like in 90 or something mm-hmm. because i have mm-hmm. I, my earliest i've been as i have in my collection it was made for me at the custom shop and it has the, the serial number is 1991 so okay you know i you know i'm, I'm an extremely loyal Guy, so I wasn't one of those guys like, uh, "Hey, I'm playing this guitar. Oh, you guys want to offer me another guitar that's cooler? Okay, cool." You know that 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 that's never been my thing, but I wasn't kind of a unique, op, you know, opportunity, you know, unique situation in that. You know, when Kramer went out of business, you know, I, I was in danger, danger, and we we'd had several videos on MTV that had done really well. So at that point, you know, you're getting that kind of exposure. You know, most companies yeah. want to work with you just because you know they would like to see their brand. You know featured in those videos too right but um it was that part of my you know my brain was like I'm you know I'm in this band but I really want to be you know with a with a company that like I've been as that had Satriani and Vi and Red Beach was playing their guitars at the time and I really fancied myself going that direction you know because obviously Joe and Anstey were big influences on my instrumental writing on my early stuff yeah so I was fortunate. I'd met the I'd, I'd met the Ibanez artist relations guy a couple of years before. His name's Chris Kelly. I just checked into the hotel. Might have been my first year with, there with Kramer, and an earthquake hit, shook the whatever hotel in Anaheim we were in. And we, my instinct was to run out into the hallway, and I'm like, you know, no shirt on, maybe in my underwear. There's Chris in the same state of undress in the room next to me, going. Oh, hey, yeah, I'm Andy. <laughs> so we were, we were earthquake buddies for a while there. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, when I, I went to him, we just he was just a cool guy. Hey, if you ever need anything, let me know. And I uh, went to him and said, hey, you know, I'm really looking to find a new company to work with. And he says, well, we're not really a fan of your band, but we we love your playing, and let me see what I can do. And, and it just worked out. And then we just went down the process of, you know, we want to build your ultimate guitar. What is that? And I really... I didn't know. I mean, they, they sent me a variety of USA customs and different things. And so this guitar that I'm holding here is the one that this was made in February of 1994. Mm -hmm. So by that time, we'd been through a a series of their guitars. There was a couple of RG bodies that they made for me where I just had a couple of humbuckers, you know, screwed into the wood with a Floyd on it. But I was moving away from the Floyd thing. And I, I had this Kramer put together a part Strat for me at one point. Cause I just really f- fancied a, a guitar that was like EJ's 54, you know, Virginia yeah. Strat. Right. And this guitar, I don't know if it was Chandler or Warmoth parts or whatever it was, but it just had a really nice unfinished maple neck, real round shoulders. I said, just make me a neck like this. And you know, they, they had an RG shape, but you know, I want to look like a vintage guitar. Right. And so that was it. Uh, and this is, you know, been my main guitar since then. Of course, I've got a variety of other Ibanezes, and of course, all the just a variety of other Fenders yeah. and Gibsons, and all the all the stuff we need for sessions and etc. But this is my kind of my Desert Island guitar, I guess you'd say. I can I can take this to any gig and pretty much get the job done. You know,
0: that's awesome. So I've been very,
1: been very fortunate that you know that to work with a company like that. And it's like, all right, all right. Uh, so all right we've we've four, switched questions. We've,
0: we've switched cameras. And now we're we're ready for the 10 questions. <laughs> All right. All right. Sweet. When you were first learning guitar, yeah. what was, I mean, maybe it was Stepping Stone, as you said earlier, but what was the first thing that you <laughs> figured out, and you were so proud of yourself, it was like it, it set that hook, and you couldn't believe you had just figured this uh-huh. out. Like, you know that feeling of, oh. I can't believe I just got this, you know? <laughs>
1: Yes, yes. Those things still happen. Uh, I'm trying to think of... Well, it would would have been early, probably, you know, either Kiss or, or like I said, that Nugent record. One of the epiphanies of that, uh, of, of the Nugent record was the... you know that 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 that, is, that okay so that ascending lick right yeah i had already learned about the unison bends it's a very hendrix thing but i didn't learn it from hendrix i had this book my my brother john had called improvising rock guitar it had uh-huh. hendrix on the cover right and it was it was a book that it was showing you all that and all the box positions but it had a little Flexi Disc record in there. Remember those? You used to get in Guitar Player yeah. magazine. But there was, two, there was two songs on it. it was, one was called Homage to Hendrix, and one was called Snaker, right? Snaker. And it had those kind of... But, dude, so check it out. The guitar player on the Flexi Disc was a 19-year-old Pat Thrall. Oh, really? And he's killing. I, I, saw, I saw Pat with Pat Travers in maybe 82 and then when I when I moved up to New York to join Danger Danger, he was he was doing the jams at the clubs I was going to. We just became great buddies. But I, and it wasn't until years later that I figured out that's Pat Thrall on this on this record that I learned some of my earliest licks from. So I knew wow. about the Unison Band, but it was that it was that lick and, you know that. Yeah. So you know because we all were you know. We'd have a, you know a couple of places to play the basic pentatonics we knew but here was this yeah. it was kind of that bridge that that really i remember that being one of the early epiphanies of like well, okay this is cool because you can you can not only think it you know vertically but there's the horizontal thing too and that's something that definitely you know i still do a lot of now it's part of my yeah. the way i think melodically you know so i don't know if it, yeah. i can really trace that to Nugent's playing specifically, but, yeah, but that was a yeah. big record. You know, that really was uh, a landmark guitar record for a lot of, a lot of players my age anyway, as, as kiss alive was, it was just, it was all good. Just the, the, the all the basics you needed to, to, to learn how to play rock, you know? Right. Right. All right. That's, yeah. that's
0: a, I like that. That's a good one. And the, all right. The flexi disc.
1: I <laughs> wonder if that's online. The flexi, anywhere, that flexi disc. Dude, I, you know, I never, I, it, it must be, but I'm telling it's you, when you be. see the picture, it's, yeah. There's this, like, little scrawny little pad throw with a coily cable, I think. I mean, that's my vague memory of it. But he was just one of the great players. He doesn't get enough uh, kudos out there. But really, really sweet guy and just a killing player. Cool, man.
0: All right, number two. What's the first solo that you ever bothered to learn completely note for note? Like, you loved it so much you had to learn it.
1: See, I was never that great at – learning solos note for note uh i I would get kind of (laughs) ish i learned lots of ish it was and it must have been probably kiss solos i used to be able to play that whole live record you know with uh this is not going to be very impressive to the listeners but uh or what about uh i love the stuff at the I won't embarrass myself by messing up the next leg, but there was Luca. was the guy that came along, you know, when I heard breakdown dead ahead on the radio one day, I went, who is this? And it might've been the same time as uh hold the line it was right. When total was coming out. Yeah. And Lukather was with boss Jags on some recordings and stuff, but it was just really clear that this was, you know, this was a, a, the guy, the new guy. Right. And there was just such an energy and conviction that uh, Luke, you know, played and plays with um, that just really obviously. I'm not I'm not alone in this opinion, but right. it really connected with me. You know what I'm saying? And just just uh, what is the all? It's just his bending and just you know, the, just kind of the the, the, the lot of the, the pedal tone. You know, sorry for all the sloppy here, but. He, there was just yeah. so much about his playing that I really resonated with, and, and oh, just he always sounded everything. so
0: so confident every time I heard anything he played on. Yeah, it was just like oh, he yeah. owned it, you know. Yeah,
1: totally. The fr- yeah. I, I I met I got to meet him several times, you know, in, in my younger playing years, and eventually we became friends. And he's anybody that knows him knows he's just one of the sweetest, most uh, humble guys out there. But one of the one of the early times running into at a NAMM show. It might have been when I handed him my Ear Ecstasy record and told him, "Half of these licks are from you, man. Thank you." You know, <laughs> uh, but I was saying, you know, dude, the, the the that solo with the end of White Sister on, is on the, the Hydra record, the second Total record. Yeah, man, the, the way you and Picaro lock in, and they're just like, uh, yeah. it was a. Just, there's a, a particular groove that they're in, and it's just, I've never heard anything more locked in my life, you know. He's like, Yeah, dude, that was live first take, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course it was. Of course. Walker, yeah, so, but that, you know, I, I was that, even at that age, I was that guy, hey, check out my record, man, you know. And he did, he called me like a month later. He left a message on my machine that I brought tears. He was so freaking nice, man. What, oh, what man. a sweetheart.
0: It's amazing and, how many uh, of those guys turn out to be so great like you you never know coming up yeah. you know when you yeah you, these people mean so much to you and man they're sure. always so, such nice guys there's exceptions of course but man for the yeah, most part but
1: luckily but luckily very few and I, and I I agree with you that i think i think anybody that can rise to that level and a lot of them have worked with so many people that you know if they were assholes they wouldn't have worked with so many people <laughs> there's yeah, there's just exactly unless they're a very defined solo niche artists and maybe that's what creates that vacuum. Of yeah. that they can be an asshole or something. I, you know, I, and there's, there's plenty of examples of a, a couple of folks like that, but the, it's, you know, as great as an artist might be, there's never any reason to treat other human beings poorly. You know, nope. Just, nope. and it's an easy thing to remember as you go through life. And it's just kind of a general, you know, the golden rule kind of thing, but you might be having the, the, the crappiest day but if somebody's meeting you it might be the only time that they encounter you yep just make the effort to to, to be the best you can be and, and to you know hopefully give somebody a good experience that they'll remember in a positive way you know so yeah you always you always regret when you hear stories about somebody not being cool and maybe you've, you've had people be uncool to you yep. uh, along the way but it but it's but it's pretty rare and, and we're fortunate for that so it's it's real easy to pass on just say that it is definitely yeah,
0: yeah. Definitely passed that on. <laughs> uh, lo-
1: love, love you, Luke, and thanks for everything, man. I just I learned so much from him, and a lot of it is that is uh, the melodicism and the and the and the conviction is just so 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 huge with him. And that's what Stevie Ray had too. is just okay. uh, that conviction, that power, you know.
0: Yep, I it always believed, resonated with me. Guys, note, who I felt know. like they truly meant, yeah, like they meant every note, and yeah. I believed it. Yes. Like whoa, I believe yes, that, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was the thing when I finally saw Jeff Beck live for the first time, you know, I, it was the thing where from Yardbirds on my, my brother Mark bought every record with Jeff, you know, from Jeff Beck group to, you know, all the on Homer stuff. And so it was always in the house and I, 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 dug it. It was great. Cause it was guitar, but you know, once guys like Luke at kind of the next generation guys, I was just more aligned with that, you know, but people kept telling me, you got to see Jeff live, you know, et cetera. And, Anyway, I finally, when I finally did go, it wasn't until 1999, embarrassingly enough. But that was the takeaway. I'd never been so moved by a guitar performance before. And it was because it felt like every note, you know, was very purposeful. There, there was, the intent was there every time. And it wasn't by mm-hmm. rote. There wasn't a lot of, he might play the same passages, you know, every night on certain tunes. But not the same way. It'll have a different inflection. Sure. It just really mm-hmm. meant something. And you could tell he was going for it at all times. So that with that, it just there's such a beauty and such a thing to draw the listener in. And they, I felt I was in tears on the ballads, you know, and every when he's rocking, it's just, just it was guttural. It was it was so great to witness, and, and it, it really kind of rekindled my belief in the instrument and and the I'll say the potential you know, for the instrument, you know.
0: I, I've never actually seen Jeff Beck live in my whole life. Ah,
1: right on. Well, we you need to fix it. That. Happen. We need Yeah. We make need happen. to go out. The last time I, I, think the last time I saw him was when he, it was at uh, the Hollywood bowl. Oh, not, yeah, I, I, mean, should, that, with the, I should have gone. With that. Brian. Not, the, but it wasn't, that it was the, the previous gig. That wasn't the big one where he played with all the different people. It was, he was on tour right. with Brian Wilson and oh, I was okay. doing a record with Simon at his studio. I think it might've been protocol three. And I had the night off cause we couldn't work for some reason that night. And I just happened to look and like, Oh man, Jeff Becks at the, at the Hollywood or was it the Hollywood bowl or was it, was the, the, the Greek one one of the two yeah maybe maybe Hollywood Bowl, but i just i just found out like at the end of the afternoon i got to find a ticket and i uh, reached out to james santiago and he was going so I, I managed to get a <laughs> ticket and we hooked up at the gig and we're just geeking out i mean i mean what a what a beautiful thing because i'm a huge brian wilson fan and so for jeff beck to be touring with brian was just such an odd thing that you never could even conceive of it happening but there they were i just like that My james is, is your first years. call
0: because literally anytime i'm going to any gig he's the first person i try to get to go with me <laughs> to every gig. Uh,
1: yeah well he, well, he's a good, and then, but then the three of us got to go hang with uh with eric but no, literally, anytime time I one. want
0: to go somewhere and I'm on the fence, <laughs> if he'll go, yeah. then I'll go. Like, hey, do you want to go to this? That's... Let's go. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. that's why well, he's a good is uh, such an awesome hang and a good cat. And yeah, he's, he's not going to be any more, anybody more knowledgeable about stuff yeah. when you're. Oh man, you're going to guitar geek out, man. Yeah, right exactly,
0: on. exactly. <laughs> Shout out to James. Shout out, James. All right, yeah, All right. number three, man. What's Uh-oh. the first thing you play? Every time you pick up a guitar, do your hands just go somewhere on autopilot? Yeah,
1: probably so. But yeah, Mike Day, my bass player, calls it the sign-on lick. You know, uh-huh. There's always some lick that you're going to yeah. It's probably going to be something in A minor. But I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know. Now I'll be aware of it. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let you know tomorrow. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not that aware of it. I, I'm not sure. Interesting. What about if you're in it's, a music
0: it's... store and you want to try a oh. guitar? Do you have like a thing that you do to see if you like a guitar?
1: I mean, I'm gonna. to be some of that probably just to you know, just to get a feel of dynamic range and and see mm-hmm. what's up but i yeah i'm the worst music store player ever i just i'm not the guy i'm not going to impress anybody at guitar Center. <laughs> i just don't i don't i don't it's not my favorite thing <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know that's the, that might be something for for mike or somebody that's around me enough to to, to be aware of it because it's such a It's such an unconscious thing. You know, it's just something that's going to happen. And I'm not, I guess I'm not that aware of it. So great question. All right.
0: I had to change mine because
1: I was playing the same thing.
0: Every time I hit standby on the amp, I'd go and I immediately play something. And then people started parroting that back to me. (laughs) So yeah, I had to change it. Yeah. Well, there you go. All right. Um, Mm -hmm. All right. So this is a two-part question. What oh, yeah? key or style or song or groove do you hear in your, do you have like a narration that kind of, something that pops in your head a lot that is like your, your groove that you, I guess, like cook to drive to run your life to. Interesting. Cause I do, I have got that shuffle running through my head 24 hours a day. Almost. Oh, wow. I, okay. That, that Charlie That's Parker, cool. I hear just, <suminous singing> <Yeah. suminous singing> I just hear it all the time. Does
1: things like that kind of pop into your head for you? Well, there's, there's always a groove happening. And this Uh is something I wasn't really, like I was thinking about not being aware or conscious of things at certain times, but uh, there's always a tune happening. If there's other music happening, I'm participating in some way, either internally or externally. I'm always, there's always time happening Right. Uh, on some level. Um, if there's, if there's a tune going on, like one of my favorite things, if I'm shopping with my wife and there's, there's always like this ambient kind of music going on with not really melodies. So I'm always coming up with, I'm always improvising melodies. Okay. No, no matter right. what's happening or there's always time. There's always time happening. If there's music going on, I'm participating. Yeah. You know, well, that was the, something the second like, part of the question. Cause yeah. I've been
0: trying to pay attention to lately, what do i hear every time i hear a piece of music that's not something i already know you know and and, yeah a lot of times it's an improvisation sometimes it's just a rhythmic thing like a syncopation over the top of the groove you know or something like that or
1: subdividing in some other some other way yeah
0: yeah but i've been trying to like pay attention to because it's different every time like it could be maybe i'll harmonize the melody of the vocal that's there you know or maybe it's just a complete solo over the top or whatever but, yeah, it's, I've been trying to pay attention the cool, to well,
1: well, the thing is, and this is something that I, I, think, I think I was doing, you know, subconsciously or on some level my entire life, but I was always, but the thing is to participate. And the more you do that, the more you fortify that when you're actually in a position with a guitar in your hands in a musical situation, you've been already experiencing it the whole day you know you've been improvising yeah, yeah. melodies you've been feeling time you've been you've been grooving in time with something and again it's it's something that i i i, I didn't realize until years later how much i was fortifying what comes through on in my instrument with not having an instrument in my hands Absolutely. but it was just kind of it's it, it it is a full time you know subconscious and sometimes conscious awareness of music and life there's so much rhythm in life but if there's nothing going on i'm walking down the street there's a, I'm walking in time to something that's in my head and my yep. fingers or my teeth are probably clicking on off, off, you know, just, there's some kind of subdivision happening, you know? Yeah. I remember this girl, this girl, Michelle, we were in shop class. She's an African-American girl in, uh, in my shop class. We were friends and she said, yeah, when you over there you're hammering, but you got a groove going. <laughs> yeah. Why not? You know, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah so that's but that's cool that you've got a shuffle going on the whole time now okay now we Most can talk about that. something different and talk talk about default songs that might pop up i had midnight at the oasis stuck in my head <laughs> for about 10 years Midnight ten, at the 10 oasis. years i'm telling you for years and years like if if there was a silence and sometimes i don't know why it would come but that song would, and i would immediately sing it or hum it and of all songs so I I told my brother John this one day. I said, "Man, I've had I've had the <laughs> Oasis stuck in my head." He goes, "What do you want me to do? Sing it? It's a small world." <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Funny to me. Funny to me. The other song that you know you'll never get out of your head. So uh, I yeah, where that came from, I have no idea. Musical yeah, musical default, but it makes it just a damn shuffle, man. Because was... yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, uh, but people on. ask you. You you talk about you know you're participating in some way, 24 Ooh, hours a day. True. But I mean, I get yeah. that question a lot from other younger musicians. Mm. Hey, you know, we came to your gig, or we watched this mm. gig on YouTube, yeah. and and man, you just keep blowing and blowing and blowing. And it, how do you have so much to say, <laughs> uh, you know? And it's like, well, dude, I'm I'm blowing 24 hours a day when I'm not playing guitar. You know what I mean? It never goes that's away. Awesome. You know.
1: Oh, uh, that's beautiful.
0: Oh man. Yeah, but that's right, cool. To, cool.
1: For, to, for, for, that's cool to, to tell that and to suggest that 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 this can be an ongoing process, not just with the instrument. You could be thinking these ideas, and you know, or and trying to remember, you know, like you said, the Charlie Parker solo, whatever your favorite yeah. solos are. Then
0: well, when yeah, you get on your
1: instrument, you've got ex- extra ammunition to try to flow through and, and figure yeah, like out. Like you that said, is. it ends up strengthening
0: that bond between the thought and the hands, and getting it out. You know, yeah.
1: That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah you don't know, want this to be an obstacle. It just should just be a vehicle for. That's what you know. That was the beautiful thing to realize with Eddie when he passed, and we all, we all kind of got to really reflect on on him and his his abilities. But there was rarely such a, a great, you know, such great evidence of somebody where this wasn't an obstacle. It was just such a an extension of him. He really played how he was. You know that that yeah. joy and that uh-huh. smile. Just so effortlessly came through, you know. It was yep, you're right, 100%. Such a cool thing to, when, 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 you know, you see people get to that level, it's it's pretty special.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah man. man.
1: All right, number five. <laughs> when right. did
0: you feel like you started to find your voice on the instrument? Was there a moment of, hey, I, I kind of like this thing I'm doing here and this little bit I should go further down this path? Uh, maybe somebody brings it even to your attention and says, Oh, I really like when you do that. You should, you should do more of that. You know, what do you remember yeah. moments like that where you yeah. made a conscious well, choice?
1: There was, yeah, there's actually, I mean, there's a bit, there's always the moments of growth along the way where, you know, you, you work so hard and you, you get discouraged, but you keep trying and every now and then something kind of starts to sound okay to you and you're like, yeah, but you know, there's plenty of other stuff that doesn't sound, but, there was one moment I can think of, and I think this is kind of led me down a path that I'm on now was something that, that Vi said to me. And uh, so he had signed me to favored nations and he, we were, the idea was to do like a best of my f- first ear ecstasy and Ear ecstasy two CDs. Cause right. they'd like, they hadn't really been released in the States and, and only, right. you know, on, on some labels in Europe and, and Japan, but he wanted me to record four new songs to add to the collection, to sweeten it. And, okay, great. And there was a tune called Falling Down in that. Uh... So it's just kind of a slow, you know, ballady thing. And right. when I. When i sent him the songs there was there was a couple that were kind of rocked out you know multi-layered because I, I i like that when there's just one guitar and the bass and drums i love hearing the fingers on the frets i like the the delicate part of the guitar playing that you have you know and so when it came time to do the resolution record i kind of was approaching it how i had done all the other records where you know play live with the band you know some solos improvise some you know maybe i'll just play the rhythm part and come back and we're gonna overdub and track right but by the time we we'd done the basic tracks i just i wasn't very inspired because i was just kind of i was maybe even a little burned out on instrumental guitar stuff it just wasn't that exciting you know but, but I, I i thought about what steve had said to me he's like i like that just one guitar and th- and so that made me think well what if i could do the whole record with like that you know maybe just with no overdubs no keyboards, just one guitar and that's what kind of got me excited and so i think going down that path and i i and i can look at that you know as like steve as an older brother and me wanting to impress my older brother kind of deal right mm-hmm. you know so there's there there's that thing there's that element to it but it was that going down the path and then in the writing tunes like the you know some of the more uh Emotion driven ballad type thing.
0: Right. And
1: I, so I think, I think that was the start of me further developing some kind of identity, you know, and something that was even more introspective and more, you know, a reflection of uh, who I might be and, and the things that I might feel. You know, had it gone on before that, maybe in some ways, it's 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 always hard for me to be objective. But uh, but that is that's one indication and in where I am now, and the, the the things that I tend to like the most that I write, like even well, the right. And then you, and you make a
0: conscious decision, right, to like go further that way in service of right of this thing that you yeah. think is kind of yours and a strength, a, you yeah. know, a, a thing that's your thing, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, so so the resolution record happened and it got a really nice response, and then we went on to do what was going to be the next record, which was going to be Theme from a Perfect World. But um, I had these other arrangements of Beatles tunes I was working on. So, but because I'd gone down the path with Resolution, which kind of comes from a you know a, a Joe Pass, Barney Kessel jazz chord melody way of playing, even though it's in a rock context. Yeah, that that informed how I was approaching the guitar even in in, in a rock way, but it's how can I feature that melody and how can I support it in the best possible way with whatever harmony necessary. And so to to work on those Beatle arrangements like that couldn't have happened on the level that I did it without having gone through that process on on resolution. And uh, so that, yeah, that, that, uh, that was real gratifying too, just to try to represent those songs the best way I could Without overdubbing everything to try to match the record, yeah. I'm just replicating the record as I hear it, you know, in, in my head. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's at least that's one, that's one signpost along the way that definitely made a huge difference. And it's just, a, it can be that one comment. Oh, know,
0: absolutely. Yeah. 100%.
1: <laughs> just yeah. one little yeah. bit of encouragement. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. I better, I better explore that. Why not? You know?
0: That's very cool, man. Very cool. All right.
1: Mm-hmm. Number six. What do you yeah. consider your
0: biggest weakness on the guitar? <laughs> the guitar
1: uh, uh biggest weakness on the guitar yikes and you're playing you know yeah yeah I think uh I wish I was better at just cranking up and bl- ripping your head off you know I wish I could be that guy to just you know plug in at guitar center and people go wow you know <laughs> I, I I feel like there's there's a level of chops that I still would like to have kind of at my disposal um Jesus. Seriously, so hearing I mean, that's,
0: you say that? It's like, well, <laughs> we, I cuz I I wish I could get to your level of chops.
1: <laughs> oh dude, well, let's do slow, slow down there, Mr. Josh. No, your level of playing is is a whole not a level, brother. That's uh yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I mean we so when we, did we I... all have our own our own lane and yeah. our own level, but I lo- yeah, it's so yeah. interesting to me to hear somebody that I consider someone who has just so much ability and has put in the, yeah. the time and 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 works hard i've seen it firsthand say to me the same thing i would i'm thinking is i wish i could do that you know what i mean yeah
1: i guess, i guess that i guess it never that never changes and I, and that's what helps us keep growing
0: absolutely but I, I mean
1: i i feel it's only in the last maybe maybe 5 to i don't know 5 or 10 years where i've started to be more comfortable just being okay with being me if that makes any sense like i don't have to be this yeah. guy or this guy or this guy there's a bit of that where i feel like oh man i, I want to be able to do everything but you, it's just you just have to get to a point where you realize i just got to be the best me i can be but that takes a lot of work you know oh, yeah that's oh, yeah. you know and, and we this never even guitar there, right
0: man the guitar of any instrument too is the most like egocentric yeah. you know yeah. you get jealous you right. get you know, but it also drives you to better things and to, to learn. You know, always be pushing forward. So yeah, it's 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 right. a weird yeah, it's a weird thing. Yeah.
1: It can be a weird thing. So to get to the point where, you know, and 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 again, at this point in our careers, we've been so fortunate to stand next to some of the greatest guitar players ever in the history of ever. Yep. So the first times you know getting on stage with the G3 guys, what the heck am I gonna do after you know hearing EJ and yeah. Vi and Satch, you'll know, rip your head off all that. So, but you finally get to that point of like, I just, I just got to do what I do, you know, and hopefully that's good enough, right? And it usually it usually works out pretty well. Yeah. But, uh, but you but yeah, we, we, it's got to turn into a therapy session here, but yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, so, but the biggest weakness, um, yeah, the, the, you know, finger picking, I <laughs> wish I was better at. That's one thing, it was weird, even though I played classical for a little while, it, it was, it was clear that you know my time comes from the pick and i'm i'm most connected with the instrument because that's how i spent most of the time you yeah. watch a guy like tommy emmanuel and it's just you know mind-boggling beauty coming from this guy um and I, you know and and i've done a bit of hybrid stuff yeah you know i, I even watched your video uh <laughs> couple, maybe last week in which when yeah. it was just great because What's great about all the content that that we're all putting out there, that to to showcase the things that we've developed, you know, it's it's nice reminders, you know, for for me again, I'm, I'm such a fan of your playing, and just to realize, yeah, this this is something that's such a great sound. I just need to I need to work on it more. I need to incorporate it. And I love you telling the story of how, you know, hearing Danny and figuring out, you know, yeah. how he was doing some of those things, yeah. and how that that was such a such a turning point. And that is you know a huge part of your beauty is that. You know, you have such that such a the strong blues background, but then there are all these other things come into play. You know, some of the jazzier things, which I always love. Anybody that's got that in their in their vernacular, but yeah, but the Danny thing too is so strong. What a so so happy I got to I got to see him and, and meet him back. Uh, he did a oh, double bill with Robin Ford.
0: Oh back in. man, what a gig! 90... Jeez, I
1: wish, dude. At I'm the, telling at the at, oh. at, at, at the bottom line uh, in New York City, so it had to be ninety ninety one. And I had some common ground with uh, with Lance, not with Lance, with uh, with Danny Gatton, because he'd been uh, the the other guitar player in the uh, Robert Gordon band. You know that 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 record yeah, called The Humbler Humble Recording. Yeah. The, the other guitar player on there is Lance Quinn, who produced the first Danger Danger record.
0: Oh, okay. So uh, yeah. so when
1: I, I go I go to see uh, I go to see Danny and Rob and. You know, for a guitar fan, what, what better are you going to do, right? Robin yeah. was killing. Had the blue lines. was Line and, and, and Roscoe, Roscoe and, uh, and the classic uh, Danny Gatton band. And they, they were both just on fire. Sounded so great. But Danny was, couldn't be more humble. And I said, yeah, I'm a friend of Lance's. Oh, yeah, man. We used to call ourselves the Buddha brothers. I guess they were because they kind of <laughs> had, the, had the Buddha thing going on. But uh, right. it couldn't have been sweeter. And it, it wouldn't it until years later. I didn't get that humbler bootleg until like i don't know five or six years ago and it's just i think one of the best documents that danny's playing because he's oh, backing yes. up a singer yeah golly his his ability to back up the singer my god yeah there stands the glass you know that's <laughs> <Yep. laughs> such a it's a good record man it is Robert a good rock a beaten boogie rock yeah. boogie. anyway uh so weaknesses all all the above but uh, i'm working on it <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right. Number seven,
0: who's a big influence on your guitar playing that people would be surprised to hear?
1: Wow, uh, you know, I think that you could you, you could probably point to any of my big jazz heroes, like mm-hmm. uh, though I talk about the jazz influences. Yeah, I mean, I'm known as a rock player, but you know, everything Larry Carlton and Pat Metheny had done it's just it's so informs what I do their approach, Larry's approach to bending he had such a dynamic control and then in Pat Metheny's just melodicism and and sense of composition as a composer or as a soloist is just unbeatable you know yeah. so you you might not listen to me oh yeah that i i hear that Matheny <laughs> or i hear that carlton you're not gonna pick up on that but but also with the with the with the barney barney kessel just his drive and his swing which was very different than pass and, and yes. west you yeah. know he was yeah. he was the next generation up for and actually got to hang with uh oh good lord i'll think of it here in a second with benny goodman charlie christian oh yeah i had a senior yeah. moment there you know charlie uh, was hanging out though he's from uh not too far from where i live here um he's from texas but but he spent, he kind of got his chops together in oklahoma city and that's oklahoma, where yeah. Bar- barney Kessel was hanging so they barney got to hang with charlie for a few days you know so see he was really the next you know next in line after when charlie passed so young so just that really early swing, you know, the Barney's Barney's feel, uh b do a horrible but you know. Again, that's yeah. you know, from my <laughs> my teacher, Ron Pritchett, who's just feeding me these records. You know, those those poll winners records. Oh there's yeah, poll called, winners uh, records there's are there's one cal- classics. Okay, the one called Exploring the Scene. It's the greatest sounding jazz guitar trio record ever, and it's a guy named Roy Dunan that engineered it for uh, what was the contemporary label that. And it was he, because he had such limited gear, he had to figure out a way to get the microphone straight into the machine, I, I don't know, I, there's, there's articles written about it, but it always struck me, as like, that's the greatest drum sound I've ever heard. That's the greatest guitar sound I've ever heard. Check out yeah. Exploring the Scene, and just the first oh, track on there. Oh, it yeah, just sounds incredible. Such good playing and such good sounds.
0: Yep, those, that yeah. stuff is killing. Yeah. Mm. Oh, all right. Well, this is, I'm curious on your answer to this one. Would you rather mm. have a great guitar and a shitty amp or vice versa. Would you rather have a great amp and a not a great guitar? And this is on a gig situation.
1: Oh man. Okay, so Oh shoot. I you know, for a long time I would think that, you know, if you hand, hand me you know, hand me a guitar and an amp, I'm gonna get my sound. You know, there's a certain there is kind of a confidence you get with the experience where you figure, oh I can I can make something work. Well, there's two instances in the last few years that proved me very, very, very wrong. <laughs> okay, and and I think I might have had my guitar, but the amp was just so not happening that there was just nothing I could do. So I'm gonna say, give me the crap guitar and a decent amp, and I'll beat something out of it. I, but it, I mean, you. that's like, you know, that's like the you know, you're up 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 to up to your neck in in excrement up to here and somebody throws a bucket of barf at you you duck it's like one of those (laughs) i'm with uh, you 100 unless unless my
0: performance is reliant on a specific instrument to pull it off like a seven string or something oh i know you're going to get a better show with any guitar and a good amp good rig versus my guitar and a crate or a jc120 or something like that
1: (laughs) exactly but again, man, it's uh, again. And I, it, I, I, I think it might have been this guitar that I took. But again, is the amp was just not helping me, and I just couldn't get anything going. It was, yeah. it was a bummer. Oh well, I'm with so it's, you, 100. It's, fi- it's in the, it's in the fingers to a degree, but you need some help. <laughs> you, you need some help. It's some headroom. handy to have, Some stability. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah.
0: Oh, good. All right, we're together on that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. What keeps you pushing? Because we, so we kind of touched on this just a minute, a minute ago, but like you're always yeah. working on new stuff and getting better.
1: Sure. What is it
0: that keeps that drive right. going, man? Because uh, I worry yeah. about it. I, I always want to be better tomorrow than today. And not only that, Absolutely. I want to maintain as I get older. I, sure. We've all seen those guys yeah. who haven't maintained. What keeps you pushing? Right. Uh,
1: it's just. And there was a time where I maybe, you know, this goes back about 10 years ago, where I heard that Matheny was going to do one of these camps. You know, a lot of guys do camps now. I've done a bunch of them with, so, with Paul Gilbert and, and Satriani invite, invited me on his last one. Where people can come and hang out and learn from their heroes, right? And I found that M- Matheny was going to do one. And I was instantly, like, excited, thinking, oh, I want to do this. And then petrified because over the course of my life, I hadn't really kind of kept up the jazz saying it like I might have been able to, you know, when I was right. in Miami and really studying. And so I thought, and I, and I knew the guy that was going to put on the camp. I thought, well, I've done some clinics for this guy maybe cause it was going to be expensive to go. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can afford to do this, but I'd love to go. So I thought like, maybe I can barter and you know, I'll do some, I'll do some workshops for you if I can come to this thing. And so he said, yeah, we can do this. And so just the thought of, uh, playing in front of pat who he kind of famously is not overly impressed you know and rightfully <laughs> right. so man he's got a, he's got a high level of expectations let's just say and i can respect that and appreciate that so so i thought man i need to it lit my it lit my fire in a, in a way that i hadn't had it lit in a while right and i found my buddy nick knurk who uh, i'd met the year before and recognized that he could play some He could play some straight ahead so i said hey man would you mind getting together with me because that was the thing back in school if I wasn't gigging and if I wasn't in, in class, I was like, Hey, what are you doing? Let's sit and play. You know, let's, right. so I decided I wasn't doing enough of that. I wasn't getting together and, 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 you know, jamming with a buddy on a regular basis and really working on jazz. So I got my I, I real book, you know, app on my, on my iPad. and would just first thing every morning just play standards for an hour. And, uh, and really it was hard to hear myself suck as bad as I did, you know, But over the course of time, and it might have been months, you know, but I started to see start to see that little bit of connection that maybe you thought you had at one point or even improved upon what you might have might never have had. And the PS to the story was that the workshop fell through. I'm not sure if it ever happened. The the guy unfortunately went bankrupt and, you know, it was kind of a kind of a mess for a while there. Long story short, it was, it was just that like we talked about earlier, sometimes it was one thing somebody says to you, this was just a thought that I had. And I thought, well, what, what would it be like in, to play in front of Pat Metheny? And it, it, I, it kicked my ass so greatly that I'm still on the path now. You know, it yeah. did, but it, it, what it did was, it, it, but this is, this is a natural thing and this is life. You know, I'm 57, been playing since, you know, early on. So you, it, it, would, it would be impossible to expect it a, of yourself to be as inspired at every moment and every year of your life. You know, there's just going to be ebbs and flows of natural... You know, inspiration or or non-inspiration, or or just the need to do something different. You know, um, but at that point in my life, it, it, going through that process of that thought of I'm playing in front of Pat, he's my hero. I know he's not easily impressed. Kind of wanted, making me wanted to work harder, and then seeing that improvement, and then keeping it going, and then it really hit me that this is what makes me happy. This is this is everything about life that I need right here. It's not the gig is one thing the recording is one thing but it's it's the process yes. of improving yes. and yes. being the stu- being the student and and i witnessed my life get better just because i was a happier person because i was honoring whatever gift i've been given whatever basic baseline ability i have you know you have to take that and you have to work your ass off to get it to something to polish that up right so but it was just real that, that epiphany of you know it's really just the journey of it ne- never getting there but just seeing that being able to, to witness some of that growth um and I, and again i have just the thought of being in front of pat metheny and it, it never happened
0: yeah but it never so
1: that, had, yeah. That, that should it should show you the power of our mind and uh and the the ability to make a decision and the weight that that can carry good or bad absolutely you know, you may, i've made plenty i've made plenty of bad decisions too but man, if you make a good one every now and then, it can. Uh, and then, but but then it's all about. It's just about following through. But it's like when I was a kid, it's not that hard. The first thing I feel I think about when I wake up is coffee and grab the guitar. Yeah. You know, not yeah, I mean, try to not turn on the computer. <laughs> just try. Well, I mean, to and it, it you know, it's so
0: much ingrained into your life at this point that yeah. yeah. It, we all have seen guys though who, even if they're brilliant maybe they stop growing at some point. You know what I mean? Because they reach a level of contentment. And I don't even mean that in a Uh, negative way. It's a good thing to be content with what you are and what you do. And then there's the guys who just never stop. And it's because they have no choice. Like I I feel Mm -hmm. like a little bit of a sense of, i guess obligation to this to this mm. stupid piece of wood because like it brought me my wife it brought me my house it brought oh, me my man. my life like I, I it's given me everything yeah. that i have in
1: life basically yeah. you know yeah. it's been yeah. my yeah. best friend
0: I <laughs> so I, I owe it to it basically yeah
1: that's yeah. that's a cool way to look at it but it's true i mean this has been the reason we're sitting here talking through space <laughs> you know it's it's it's, Dude, it's the only it's, reason it's, it's,
0: that i got to meet you and you're a hero and it's like and then next <laughs> oh, thing on, i know man. we're working together and it's like it's the reason okay, for so most of the good things in my life
1: let's talk about that for a second because i was i was before we started talking today and and if people don't know josh very graciously invited me to come out to his studio and do a record um, yes sir but did i did i reach out to you i'm trying to I'm trying to think as. I don't. We, the first, we first place we met, I guess, was the sanctuary. I assume. I guess so. Or Nam, yeah. I guess.
0: Either one of the two. Maybe
1: that's what it was. Maybe. So we well yeah we we ran into each other maybe it was McKinney and we just kind of stayed in touch and you would, I guess you would just finished your studio and you very you very just like very kindly just said yeah come out I'm like all right careful what you wish for bro you know right and. Uh, but it just turned out to be this this killer project that I can't wait to get out there. So probably cause it looks like, looking like March, ruling. And the 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 freedom that uh, it g- gave me to just kind of you know say, Josh, man, help me out. Just what you pick the players, you know. Let's write some tunes together. Yeah. I wrote some tunes, came out, and just what a great experience, man. The 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 band sounded great, and having Alan Hurts in there, dude, you're playing things, your butt you know? off
0: on it, and I, yeah, I can't wait for people uh, to hear it. Uh, it's really good well, thanks man <laughs> really
1: good <laughs> well dude but, but again it's just it was fun for me because um you know i i like being able to i, I love my band you know and i always love playing my own tunes with those guys but it's, it's 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 such a great experience when you put yourself in with in a completely new situation um but having, just but knowing you and, and having looked at your playing so much online and, and enjoying your your records and your live gigs i just had complete faith and I know it's gonna. I know it's gonna be. I know it's gonna be great. You know, and yeah. and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm 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 blown away, man. I'm really happy with it, the way everything sounds. So yeah, we'll get that out there. And looks it looks like March of 2021. That's ruling, man. Yeah, yeah. dude. Just
0: <laughs> just the fact that you trusted me to do it is. I, I appreciate that.
1: Well, li- li- likewise, man. It's nice that you invited me out, bro. <laughs> you got it. You got it, man. All
0: right. So then, that, that pretty much leads us to number ten, which is, okay. What's your five year plan? <laughs> Like, do you have you know? Is it just keep on keeping on, or do you have like some yeah. serious goals that you want to achieve?
1: That's a that's a great question. Um, so, and again, I kind of go back to something I said earlier, where so much of my career, it's just kind of happened, you know. I, right. I, so I think it's 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 truly just the continuation of exactly what I'm doing right now. Now, I mean, that being said, yeah, I want to. I, I really think overall I would like to release a lot more music. You know, I think that I've, I've been a little slow to get material out. I've got, you know, oodles of unfinished ideas and, and, and stuff that I could be putting out. So I think just, just the overall goal would be to to keep improving and and keep working in all the different ways that I do, but to really, you know, just release more music to document, um as much of uh my writing and playing as i can you know while, while we still can right uh, and that, that's basically it yeah i mean you know if, if mccartney calls great That'll yeah be awesome. right R- ringo uh yeah. you know uh but just now, i just really want i just I, I i feel like you know i always kind of say i feel like i'm scratching the surface and i'm not i'm not not kidding when i say that i think that the guitar has such potential you know uh as an instrument to really, really say some heavy things, right? So I just want to keep writing. I just want to write better songs and uh, and just have more of that connection with the instrument. It's like, uh, you know, we talk about Jeff Beck a lot, and I think the reason we do talk about him a lot is that he's never stopped growing. He's, he's the, yeah. the epitome of somebody that's never rested on... You know, he could have stopped after Shapes of Things, that iconic solo. He was already on Rushmore at that point, you know. But he just every record he just would not allow himself to, to repeat himself and yeah. and and through that process you know has developed this incredibly connected way of you know playing that's just just gorgeous you know um right. so yeah to, to to keep on that kind of path to have that kind of work ethic and and just to release yep. more music you know that's yep thanks for helping thanks for. Thanks for helping me with that by getting this this record out that we did together, you know, you're welcome. And yeah,
0: what else could we, we really ask for? I mean, it's, it's, you know, when you're happy with what you do, you just want it to continue, you
1: know? Yeah. Yeah, And again, just, just make it better and try to, you know, just reach, reach as many people as you can. And and, in the most, in the most natural way, you know? Yeah. I I, I, I like it when things work organically somehow.
0: Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. All right, well we've reached the end of the ten questions, so All thank right. you. And for uh for the oh. members, the rulers, there will be the turn two video rulers, I love that.
1: Yeah, if you're not a ruler <laughs> are, hit are, uh, I wanna be a ruler. <laughs> I wanna rule I wanna I wanna be a ruler with Josh exactly. Smith. I'll I'll join the rulers.
0: Yeah, so if you're not a ruler, <laughs> hit join or subscribe at least and um there will be links to all things Andy Timmons right here underneath the video. All right. So make sure Hot you support at you. Buy records, buy products, you know, yeah. go buy an Ibanez AT model guitar. You know, <laughs> please support. But, dude, thank you so much for doing this and just taking the time oh, out man. of your day. Man.
1: Just, good, just good to hang. You kidding me? This is, you know. Likewise. This man. is the good stuff, brother. This is the good stuff. All right. Stuff. Ruling. All right. So for uh, members, we'll be right back. Yeah. All right.